our second reading will be John chapter 1, beginning at verse 20, but instead I will begin at verse 29. Hear the word of God. The next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, And they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this is um, 
my third sermon in this series of sermons as we preach our way through the gospel of John. We're still in chapter one. Two weeks ago, uh, we covered John chapter one, verses 19 through 28. And in that passage, we saw John the baptizer out in the wilderness where crowds of people had come to hear him preach and to be baptized by him. John was famous. He was surrounded by a large number of disciples. He had caused such a stir that the religious authorities back in Jerusalem made a trip out into the desert to check up on him. They wanted to know who this guy was. Who we are, our identity, is actually a complicated matter. Because each of us is more than just one thing. Our identity is partly captured by the titles that we have, by the names that people call us by. I am a husband. I am a father. I am a pastor. Those are three titles that define who I am. Of course, I'm a few things beyond that as well. But those titles largely define my identity. John the baptizer, he's very clear about his identity. Under close questioning from the religious authorities, John confesses that he's not the Christ. He's not Elijah come back from the dead. He's not the prophet. He is, however, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That's his identity. And that identity defines his mission in life. As we'll see in a minute, John is also clear about the identity of Jesus, and the identity of Jesus defines his mission in life as well. John the baptizer is on a mission. And he knows that his mission isn't about himself, though he is actually hugely famous, though people swarm to see him, John's mission is to point away from himself. His mission is to point to some unknown person who has yet to arrive, uh, someone who is going to be more powerful than John, someone who is so holy that John is actually unworthy to untie his shoelaces. Now, in the first part of The first chapter of the Gospel of John, John the baptizer hasn't yet seen this person. He doesn't know what that person is going to look like. He doesn't know what that person's name will be. He he doesn't know where he will come from. But John did know that he would recognize this person when he finally showed up. And so that's what he tells the religious authorities. I'm the voice crying in the wilderness... Announcing that someone really important is just about to show up and we all need to get ready for his coming. I don't know what he'll look like. I don't know his name. But when he gets here, big things are going to happen. That's what John says to the religious authorities. And no doubt they probably thought he was a little crazy. But then the very next day. For the very first time, John sees Jesus. That's in our reading from this morning. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. Even before Jesus gets where John is standing, while Jesus is still walking toward John, while he's still some distance, 
distance away. John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, the sins of the world. Now, two things are crystal clear. One, John knows who he is. He's certain about his identity. He's not the Christ. He's not Elijah. He's not the prophet. His identity determines his mission in life. And that's why he is not interested in personal fame. Because he is the voice crying in the wilderness, pointing away from himself towards someone else who's coming. And when John sees this Jesus, he also knows who Jesus is. And John is certain about the identity of Jesus. The identity is Lamb of God. And that identity is connected with the mission of Jesus to take away the sins of the world. Are you following me on this? Our identity, who we are, determines our Mission. Our identity determines our mission. I'm a husband. That means my mission is to love and to support my wife. I'm a father. That means my mission is to love and to raise my children. I'm a pastor. That means my mission is to love and to nurture my flock. Our identities determine our mission, which is why it is so important to know who we are, because who we are determines what we should be doing. Jesus is the Lamb of God. That's his identity. And his mission is to take away the sins of the world. John knows who he is. And John knows who Jesus is. How sweet it would be if each one of us knew just those two things. Who am I? I mean, really. Who is this Jesus? I mean, really. The next day, John the baptizer sees Jesus again. This time, John happens to be with two of his disciples, and John again says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And those disciples, hearing what John said, leave John, and they go to follow Jesus. You remember that John says that he must decrease so that Christ can increase, and here it begins. John is always pointing away from himself, even if that means he's losing some of his own followers. John has been out preaching and baptizing in the desert. We don't know how long he was out there, but he has been out there preaching because he knows that someone else is coming. And now he has finally seen that person, and when he sees him, he cries out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As we work our way through the Gospel of John over the next 50 weeks, we are going to see that this gospel as a whole is very much taken up with the question of identity, the identity of Jesus. You'll remember in the prologue to the gospel, we learned that Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's an identity of Jesus. In the 22 verses that we read this morning, Still in chapter 1, we have a total of six other identities or titles for Jesus. John the baptizer calls him the Lamb of God. But Jesus in this passage is also called the Son of God. He's called Rabbi. He's called Messiah or Christ. He's called uh, the King of Israel. And then Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. 
Before this sermon series is over, we will have a chance to dig into each of these ideas or each of these titles for Jesus. And we will see that in each case, the specific identity is connected with a specific mission. Jesus' mission as a rabbi is very different from his mission as a king. In the same way that my mission as a pastor is very different from my mission as a father. This morning we're going to focus on uh, the Lamb of God uh, whose mission is to take away the sins of the world. So let's begin by talking about how this image of the Lamb of God appears uh, in the Old Testament. John the Baptizer, of course is a Jewish prophet. He's not a Christian. And so his religious vocabulary is entirely rooted in the Hebrew scriptures. And we see the image of the Lamb of God appearing prominently in three important junctures in the history of the people of God. First, the Lamb of God appears with Abraham at the very beginning of the great nation that he fathered. In Genesis chapter 12, God makes a covenant with Abraham, and he promises Abraham that his descendants will form a great nation. Years go by, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they grow old, they still don't have any children. God repeats his promise to them that they're going to have a son, uh, but the promise is hard to believe, and uh, Sarah laughs about it. But then, sure enough, Sarah is 90 years old, and Abraham is 100 years old, and their son, Isaac, is born. And then, in a heart-wrenching twist in the plot, God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son, on an altar. It's a test. God wants to know if Abraham is willing to lay down everything, his most precious possession, his only son, his promise at a legacy and a future. You see, if Isaac dies without having a child of his own, then Abraham's name will disappear from the face of the earth. And God wants to know if Abraham is willing to lay down even that on the altar in obedience to God's command. You all know how the story turns out, of course. At the last moment, God intervenes with a knife in his hand ready to slaughter his own son. An angel of the Lord calls to Abraham and tells him to stop. God sees Abraham's obedience. And then God provides a replacement sacrifice. A lamb, a ram, caught in a thicket by its horns. And Isaac's life is saved. The Lamb of God provided by God a substitute sacrifice. He's a stand-in so that God's children might be spared. Second, the Lamb of God appears at the time of the first Passover. The descendants of Isaac grow to be a great nation, great in number at least, and unfortunately they're living as slaves in Egypt. 
and God wants them out of there. He wants them living in their own land, living under the law that he's going to give them. Egypt, of course, at this time is the most powerful nation on earth, and Pharaoh is the most powerful man on earth. But Pharaoh is not interested in letting the descendants of Isaac leave cheap labor. Okay, so Pharaoh's kind of the 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 opposite of Donald Trump. Pharaoh wants to build a wall to keep the labor. Okay, rather than to keep it out. And so God sends a series of plagues to change Pharaoh's mind, to soften him up. And the final plague, the one that actually gets the descendants of Isaac out of Egypt, is the death of the firstborn child in every household throughout the land of Egypt. Well, not every house. That is, every house except those houses where the residents had sacrificed a lamb... And sprinkled its blood on the doorframe. The Lamb of God, whose blood covers and protects the people and ensures their freedom from slavery. And third, the Lamb of God appears in prophecy during the time of the Babylonian captivity. That was a time when the people of God are again living as slaves, this time not in Egypt, but in Babylon. In Isaiah chapter 53, which was written during the Babylonian captivity, we have one of four suffering servant songs. These are prophecies about a coming Messiah who will save his people. He's going to save them not by bringing in a conquering army, but by suffering on behalf of the people. Now, we typically read these songs during the Advent season, so many of them are familiar to us. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him not, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. Verse 7 of that chapter reads, He was oppressed and was afflicted, Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. The lamb of God who is pierced for our transgressions. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the baptizer's career was dedicated to getting people ready. Ready for the coming certain someone whom John had never seen, a certain someone whose name John didn't know, this person would be the fulfillment of the centuries-old longing of the children of Israel. Prophets have been talking about this person for nearly 500 years. This person would be the Redeemer and the Savior. He would be the Messiah and the Anointed One. And in an act that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, John the Baptizer figures out who Jesus is the very first time he sees him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, the section of the Gospel of John we read this morning contains five other titles for Jesus, five other descriptions of his identity, Son of God, Rabbi, uh, Messiah, King of Israel, and Son of Man. The Bible actually contains many titles for Jesus. R.C. Sproul 
tells the story of attending a convocation at a seminary and the guest speaker for the day was a very distinguished New Testament scholar and that scholar went up front to the podium and began to read without comment a list of titles given to Jesus in the pages of the New Testament. Christ, Son of Man, Lord, Consolation of Israel, the Lion of Judah, the Son of God, the Word of God, the Alpha and the Omega, on and on and on this man read the titles of Jesus for 31 minutes. I hope there was a standing ovation for Jesus at the end of that speech. The Bible has a lot to say about who Jesus is. The Gospel of John is deeply interested in uncovering and revealing the identity of Jesus. And the identity of Jesus, just like the identity of each of us, is not one-dimensional. I expect that it's going to take all of eternity for us to fully appreciate and understand the complexity and the richness of Jesus. He is at the same time the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah. He is at the same time fully human and fully divine. He is at the same time the high priest and the sacrifice. But the writer of the Gospel of John is clear that a proper understanding of Jesus must begin with his identity as the sacrificial Lamb of God. And that brings us to a crucial theological idea, the one idea I need you to understand before you leave here this morning. If you are asleep right now, I need you to wake up for just two minutes. I need you to understand something called the atonement. Say that out loud with me. The atonement. This coming Tuesday night begins Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur is the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. Leviticus chapter 16 lays out the rules for establishing this annual, perpetual holy day. The text reads, shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, On the tenth day of that month, you shall afflict yourselves, that means to fast, and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all of your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves, you shall fast, It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as a priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. Atonement is a priestly function. Atonement is the means by which the priest cleans you of your sins before God. If you've had your sins atoned, then you stand clean before God. Under the old covenant, under the law of Moses, sins were atoned for with animal sacrifices. An animal was killed 
And its blood was poured out on the altar, and the blood covered the sins of the person who presented the sacrifice. But in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 22, which is in the New Testament, we hear that Jesus himself is, quote, the guarantor of a better covenant. He is the high priest. Jesus is the only priest. He is the high priest who offers himself as the sacrifice. One time for all time. A sacrifice that does not have to be repeated each year or each Sunday. At the Last Supper, which was a Passover meal, Jesus identifies himself as the Passover lamb. As the Lamb of God. In Matthew 26 we read, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. For the forgiveness of sins. Now just a parenthetical note here. This is one of those passages where our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ read scripture more literally than we Protestants do. A Catholic will point to this passage and say, what part of this is my body and this is my blood don't you understand? And they believe that the element the communion in the Eucharist are literally the body and the blood of Christ, reading this passage literally. The blood of Jesus atones for our sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he was offering himself as an atoning sacrifice for us for our sins. When we have faith in Christ, in what he did for us on the cross, our sins are forgiven, they are forgotten, they are erased, they are eradicated. And we stand before God clean, perfectly clean. All of us have sins that we need wiped away. All of us in our own actions and our attitudes and in our words and in our thoughts are soiled before God. And all of us an atonement to be made for us so that we might be clean. And so I encourage you to allow this day to be your day of atonement, your Yom Kippur. I encourage you to let this day be the day when you are perfectly forgiven, completely relieved of all guilt and shame, entirely clean in the eyes of Almighty God. How do you do that? Well, you begin by believing what the Bible says about Jesus. You begin by believing what Jesus says about himself, that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that his death on the cross was an atoning sacrifice. You believe what the Bible says about Jesus, and then you turn to Jesus, and you put your trust in him. You ask him to forgive your sins. You ask him to fill you with, with the Holy Spirit. You ask him to be your Savior. You tell him that you're ready for him to be the Lord of your life. We are not clean before God. We are not saved and on our way to heaven because we have lived good and clean lives. The Bible tells us that no one is righteous. 
We're all in the same sinking, stinking boat. And so if you're hoping to get to heaven because you're such a nice person, then you're simply not believing the Bible. The Bible teaches that all of us have a serious problem of being dirty before God, but that God solves this problem by sending his own son to be an atoning sacrifice for all who were willing to believe in him. We're not saved by being good. The Bible says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not the result of your works so that no one can boast. May this day be to you a day of atonement. By faith receive God's free gift of forgiveness in Christ, because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let us pray. Eternal Father, we thank you for your eternal word. And we pray this morning that by the power of your spirit, you would seal those words to our hearts. We pray that we might see Jesus for who he truly is the atoning sacrifice that was offered up on our behalf. We pray also for the faith to receive the free gift of life in Christ. These favors we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you all now to stand with me and sing our closing hymn, number 40.